Start your day right with Marcus Smith and the Morning Team. We're going to talk about um, just stuff, you know, lots of st- things that show up that, that once we're in your home and they go to somebody else's home and how do they get there? Maybe by way of a thrift store. Join in for conversation on current topics and events from around BYU campus and the world and get your morning talking. Tune into the morning show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Hey, everybody, we are broadcasting live from BYU Education Week, surrounded by tens of thousands who are fortunate enough to take the week off to continue their education. But how can you keep learning with your busy schedule at home? That's up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. An explosion in New York City has destroyed a home, killing a baby and sending 14 others to the hospital. It happened just before noon in Brentwood. A fire official says propane was being investigated as a possible cause of the explosion. Surrounding houses were also damaged during the blast. Neighbors many blocks away reported feeling their own home shake. Dave Grant says he heard the explosion and raced about seven blocks to the scene. He heard one officer yelling, we need help, and he assisted other officers as they lifted the collapsing roof to rescue a man. Julie Walker, New York. President Barack Obama is defending his support of wind energy despite criticism from his Republican rivals. The president wants to extend the wind tax credit that Romney would let expire. Campaigning in Iowa, he noted Romney's dismissed wind energy as imaginary and Ryan's called it a fad. And Romney once said disdainfully, you can't drive a car with a windmill on it. I don't know if he's actually tried that. I know he's had other things on his car. Obama having fun with the now famous story of Romney's dog in a crate on the roof on a family vacation. But seriously, Obama says U.S. turbine and wind equipment plants support 75,000 jobs and there's nothing imaginary about them. Mark Smith at the White House. While the president defends wind, Mitt Romney is in Ohio voicing his support for the coal industry. With dozens of hard-headed coal miners behind him, Romney said the U.S. has to take advantage of all available sources of energy. And he said the coal industry shouldn't be shackled by new regulations. We have 250 years of coal. Why in the heck wouldn't we use it? The owner of this mine would be hurt by proposed administration regulations that would make it harder to build new coal-fired plants. Romney is joined on his tour across Ohio by Senator Rob Portman, who is among those passed over for the number two spot on the GOP ticket. Jerry Bodlander with the Romney campaign in Bellsville, Ohio. Consumer spending is back on the rise just in time for back-to-school shopping season. Back-to-school meant back-to-shopping in July. The Commerce Department reports the strongest monthly rise in retail since February. Ellen Davis with the National Retail Federation says it's hardly boom times, rather a case of catch-up. We do know that that's largely due to replenishment of items that people have been making do with for the last several years. Beyond school supplies, Americans were buying everything from cars to furniture. Consumers are spreading out their seasonal purchases, like school supplies, over longer periods of time. And that means retailers will continue to try to lure out Halloween and holiday shoppers as early as possible. Mark Hamrick, Washington. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can every day on the Matt Townsend Show to help you and your loved ones grow healthy, happy relationships and lives long into the future. And today we have a fun activity going on. We're broadcasting live from the Wilkinson Center on the campus of Brigham Young University, right in the middle of their education week where we are learning all we can about every topic you can imagine on earth. Literally 20,000 or so people are gathered on the campus listening to speakers. They're taking 1,000 classes or so on different topics like education, religion, marriage and family topics, genealogy, 
health and history and so much more. And today we are right in smack dab in the middle of it all. Um, we're going to be bringing on some guests, some of the speakers that are uh, that are going to be speaking at the event, as well as just some of the people that have been put in charge of it, uh, who are in charge of continuing education at Brigham Young University. And we're going to be bringing those experts to you. Again, 200 presenters are teaching uh, people who want to just keep learning and see the value of continuous education and lifelong learning, which is the topic we're going to be focusing on today on our show uh, you know, it's not easy to just keep wanting to learn. A lot of us think that learning is simply connected to uh, something we do in school, something where teachers are involved, the campus. But in reality, there's something so much more when we can just find a way to get education and this process of learning and growing in our lives. You know, as somebody that just barely wrapped up six years of a, of a Ph.D. program, I quite honestly don't want to learn another thing ever ever again in my life. I would rather walk away ignorant than ever have to pull out another book. But um, honestly, what is funny, today I did a speech and I sat down and didn't really spend much time preparing for it. It was just kind of a small group. and um, But it's amazing how much I drew on all of my learning and all of the things that I've been studying for the last six years or so. And so Part of what I want to see do is see if we can't motivate you to get some more ideas, to find a little bit of passion in learning, and uh, see if we can't, during the show today, to reinvigorate you. We're going to be bringing on uh, an expert of adult learning and continuing education from Brigham Young University, who's going to fill us in on a little bit of that. And then, of course, we've got the ensemble, the producers from the Matt Townsend Show, and all of their brilliant wisdom, and just their fun, quirky awkwardness. All of that live from the Wilkinson Center on the campus of Brigham Young. Now, here's the deal. One of our own producers, Thomas Brinton, a uh, man, extraordinary man, um, still is trying to continue his education. This week's subject for Tom is the saxophone. You may not have known it, but summer 2012 has another title. It's also called Summer of Tom. That's hashtag Summer of Tom if you want to post about it on Twitter. What does Summer of Tom mean, you ask? Well, basically, since my time belongs primarily to third parties during the rest of the year, school, work, and other activities, I make a list at the beginning of the summer of cool things I want to accomplish or learn while I'm not going to school. This summer, I learned how to solder circuit boards, started riding my bike to work, and also learned to play the alto saxophone. Well, sort of. I have this old saxophone that I inherited from my grandpa who, I hear, was quite the musician. I never got to hear him play because he died when I was very young, but I thought it would be nice if I actually learned to play one of the instruments he left behind. A smart person would have begun looking around for a good saxophone instructor at this point. Instead, I decided I could just teach myself. So I went to the music store to buy new reeds. Of course, I didn't know what size I needed, so I had to guess. Luckily, the reeds I got seemed to fit and sounded okay. I was all ready to play my first note, which sounded kind of like this. There are so many buttons and keys on a saxophone I had no idea where to start. After watching a few YouTube videos, I tried my first major scale, which sounded kind of like this. I've pulled the saxophone out a few times this summer, but I think in some areas teaching yourself can be a lot more frustrating than it's worth. One of these days I'll take real lessons. And it'll sound kind of like this. Wow. Good stuff, Tom. You know, for some reason, I, I don't know if it'll ever sound like that. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. So we're talking about continuing education. Uh, appreciate Tom's hopeful uh, advice there. It really is. Uh, your education doesn't have to just be a formal thing, something we get a certificate, something that we um, force through our lives. Maybe the education could be just doing those things we love to do, uh, getting back to a language we've always wanted to learn, or um, you know, maybe reading more books, falling in love with literature, who knows? I think it could be anything. Yesterday, I learned how to put a vent dryer, a dryer vent on the back of a dryer so you could vent out your, your dryer. 
And that only took me five hours and two trips to Home Depot. So it's not hard. It's near impossible, but learning is good for everybody, and that's what we're talking about on the Matt Townsend Show today. Be thinking as you're going through the show today, what are the things you've always wanted to know more about? What are the topics, the the things you were passionate about? Maybe the things in high school, if you could have chosen anything to study in your life, you would have chosen those two things, because I really want to see if we can't motivate you to get out and to start doing some of those. As we sit here with thousands of people walking by and just... All of these people with the spirit of learning, they're all carrying their tote bags. They've all got their name tags. There's this sense of of camaraderie, but also a sense of kind of purpose. Everyone has one or two or three um, places they're going to be going today where they're going to learn. Different speakers, different topics, increasing spirituality, but also family skills, uh, gardening skills. You name it, it's on the docket for our people today. And we want you to have a taste of that as well. So stick with us on the show today. Also... um, be thinking, what is it you'd want to work on? What are the areas you most need to, to grow? What are, what's holding you back? What are your fears that might be stopping you from uh, taking this deeper step and uh, starting something new? And hopefully by the very end, you too can go be a saxophony like Thomas Brinton and uh, try to turn something that's hard with a lot of buttons and shiny brass into something that just is incredibly moving and makes the ladies fall in love with you. So that's what we're talking about right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A simple trick grocery stores know makes healthier lunchtime choices easier for you. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. You've heard the joke about the seafood diet. I see food, and I eat it. The managers of a hospital cafeteria decided to see if how they color-coded and displayed healthier foods would affect what their customers would see and eat. Their results may not surprise a supermarket manager, but it's big news to managers of school cafeterias and other similar places. The cafeteria of Massachusetts General Hospital became a sort of lab experiment in how to get folks to order and eat healthier foods. The first experiment labeled everything with a red, yellow, or green tag to denote relative healthiness. This saved people the hassle and time to figure out and compare nutritional labels, and instead gave them a new way to make a simple, impulse choice for the healthier options. Step two was displaying the food so that the healthiest items were at eye level and less healthy foods were above or below the customer's initial line of sight. Such simple changes led to customers buying almost 25% less soda and almost 5% more of the healthy snacks and about 10% more bottled water. That's food for thought. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU Radio is your home for Cougar sports. And after each weekend's action, don't miss True Blue. Each week, join hosts Dave McCann and the entire True Blue team as they bring you highlights, analysis, and interviews from all the major BYU sports. New episodes air every Monday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with repeats Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Here on the home of Cougar sports, Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're broadcasting live from the Wilkinson Center on the campus of Brigham Young University. And uh, today is Education Week. Actually, this entire week, we're celebrating learning on the campus of Brigham Young University. Thousands of people have gathered uh, this week to do everything they can to to keep their brain active and alive. And that is the goal of today's show is we're going to be hopefully motivating you, pushing you to keep learning in life and to take some topics, uh, you know, go a little deeper with them, find a passion around a passion around it. What is something you've always wanted to learn? That's what we want you to have in the back of your mind as we're going through today's show. And um, we're going to be bringing on a, a great expert um, uh, from Brigham Young University, the, the director of independent study. 
uh, uh, John Taylor, Ph.D., and he's going to be giving us some insight into the importance of learning. You know, for a program, independent study, these are all these people all over that need to kind of sit down and keep their learning going themselves. We're going to pick his brain and see what are some keys to that. But before we go there, we first want to go to one of our producers. Now, we, we all know that... Um, not all of us went to school or even finished school, right? And so some of us might be planning to go back to or start higher education in the future, making us mature students by definition. Here's Corinne Collins reporting on the positive experience she's had with mature students throughout her college career, as well as her hope to be one. According to the Higher Education Authority, the definition of a mature student is someone who is 23 years old or more when they commence their first year of study, which puts me in the mature student category at the age of 24. I was 23 when I started my master's program, and should I get into a PhD program, I'll be almost 26 when I start, and about 30, hopefully, when I finish. But I wouldn't consider myself a mature student. And although we apparently account for 14% of the students in higher education, I am almost certain that the challenges I face as a student are different than someone who is 30, 40, or maybe even 50 years my senior. But that's not to say that mature students don't excel in the classroom. As both an undergraduate and graduate, I've had the opportunity to work with various mature students, and by mature in this sense I mean over the age of 40, and have found them dedicated, hardworking, and incredibly serious about their schooling more so than the freshmen and sophomores I encounter. In many cases, these students have hectic family lives and demanding jobs that pose limitations on their time in some ways, but they always managed to succeed and were always respected. And although I am by definition considered a mature student, I don't have nearly the same discipline and dedication that I have observed my colleagues to have, and I truly admire their consistent and sustained effort, both inside and outside of the classroom. So... As I embark on a new academic experience and hopefully start a PhD, I think of those mature students as an example of not only academic responsibility, but also a passion for lifelong learning and education. Their enthusiasm, dedication and reliability make them examples of almost perfect students, and that's something I hope to channel for my near future. Awesome, Corinne Collins there. Uh, wanting to be a lifelong learner, um, even as a senior, she's going to be a lifelong learner. We are back now, and we're going to be talking to John Taylor. John Taylor is the director of BYU's independent study program. He's, you know, it's an interesting background in computer science and MBA. He's worked in corporate America with Hewlett Packard Infosystems and has a PhD in educational technology. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Uh, so you've got a big role here. So independent study is what? Independent study is uh, at BYU is structured to be an educational resource for a number of different audiences. Um, it's available for, obviously, our college students right. uh, here on campus or at other colleges that want to take courses online usually for flexibility reasons to fit into their lifestyle. Or Are these people situation. that haven't finished? Are these people that just want education? Well, it's both. Some people who haven't finished their degree at BYU can uh, get a Bachelor of General Studies degree in uh, certain areas of emphasis by taking university courses online from us. Mm -hmm. But then we also have lots of students that are simply taking their university courses as a supplement to their normal day Just campus life. program. Just high school students. High school students. We have a large high school program, uh, quite a few students throughout the U.S. that are taking courses to supplement their local high school education, yeah. or in some cases to actually take all of their high school courses with us. Now, and this isn't just unique to BYU. Almost every university is out there doing some form of this kind of continuing ed or... Sure. Distance yeah, education distance is, a, is, is a high growth area. It's one of those areas where there's lots of opportunity to explore new designs, new ways of interacting with students. Uh, the technologies have progressed so much yeah. that... It used to be that you would get a tape in the mail or a book or something and read it and send yeah. your homework in the mail. And now, you know, not only is there, you know, online conversations, but there's video conferencing. You can one-on-one -on -one yeah. talk to your teacher or talk to other students. Lots of opportunity for Well, I mean, you've seen it with uh, YouTube. On YouTube, you can go get lectures, TED TV. Plus, a lot of the universities out there, Stanford and some of those, you can actually go take courses online 
relatively, I think, free even. There's some that are sure. offered. And I think most people have had experience either with Skype or with Facebook or, or you know, the, uh, um, the the technologies that allow you to use your iPhone or, yeah. or your portable in having a video conference with someone. Well, this just simply says that's a technology we can use for teaching and uh-huh. for lifelong learning. We can share and and uh, even structure assessments of how well people have learned. That well, way. what does the data say about that? Is is that kind of learning, is it equal to sitting in a class with a professor? Is it on the same par? Where is it? Well, it's really interesting. Education is such a complex situation. It it's it's hard as a science to break it down and truly measure what's yeah. happening. The Department of Education uh, at uh, the United States issued a report just uh, two years ago that did a meta-study of a number of studies that have been done throughout uh, the world. And they concluded that um, online education was equal to classroom education in terms of actual learning outcomes, in terms of the students' motivations and abilities to uh, to grasp concepts. Actually, the best opportunity they found was more of a blended situation where there was some classroom but also much online activity Mm -hmm. and we kind of got the best of both worlds so there's lots of uh, lots of research and lots of uh, things to explore in the area and it seems it actually it seems like that would totally work i just did a uh, driving school online don't know why uh the cops got a hold of me in an unethical illegal immoral way they caught me speeding and um it wasn't my fault because i was going downhill and my car just gets away from me and so i got i got the chance to go do online driving school or not drive but like uh, uh yeah driving class driver's education it was fantastic because they basically time you they want you online so long you have to read and pass off each section they won't let you progress forward until you've passed off a section, and you have to pass off so many sections. So it, it literally forced me to sit there for three, I think, hours, read each section, test out, and there were sometimes I had to go back two or three times. Now, was this an in-class or It was all on the computer. I also went through Did one you of those do that? the last three months. I won't indicate why. Was it in uh, a county near here? Uh, yes, it was. Actually, yes. Sandy. Okay. Getting close. <laughs> and it was fascinating, the online animations, the way they showed yeah. the different movements, and they would present alternatives, and you would have to react, yeah. or you'd have to look at between choices. It was just a fascinating experience. But you could do it in your jammies, sure. sitting at your computer, sure. and, and all of a sudden it opened my mind that there is so much... We can learn now. There's no more limits to university, to facility. It's out there for oh, everyone. You know, there's, it's, it's a whole whole world of opportunity to learn beyond kind of the four credit opportunities right. that, that we might provide right. in independent study. Um, there are there are organizations. You can go to the local library and you can check out entire courses from either uh, usually a modern scholar or yeah. teaching company where yeah. they've where they've organized a, a university course, 36, 24 lessons. And, and have booklets of information and outlines and questions. My wife has gotten the audio versions of those, and she spent a summer in a garden and, and went through about 10 books and about eight full university courses, courses. in one summer just listening to these audio On courses. On gardening? No, On. while she was gardening. Uh, so she utilized her yeah. natural time of doing gardening and had this um, iPod boombox yeah. playing. And just a fantastic enriched summer yeah. beyond growing tomatoes and zucchini. You're gardening and other anyway. She's she's enriching her mind and growing. I it's just incredible that. if you can find opportunities to leverage your natural activities with learning. Oh, that's it's a great just incredible. Idea. Well, and it's um, I mean everyone's got to mow the lawn or everyone's oh, yeah. got to you know wash their car or clean the house. So one great tool I guess is leveraging them. What what do you think gets in the way, John? Because and uh, we had Brad Wilcox on a few days ago just talking about literacy and child literacy. And um, one of the things that I guess got in the way, he says, is it's, it's, it's a lot of us just are no longer, we're not literate as adults. We're not even reading anymore. So why would we expect our children to? And the same might be true with us, or us as adults. Maybe we're not learning anymore. We're not like actively progressing or trying to learn. Yeah, I, th- I think sometimes we just need to develop our curiosity about things. I mean, the world is full of things to have questions about. Yeah. And if we just take the time to look around and question and identify things that would be of interest to us, 
um, that can give us a whole jumping off point for learning. Uh, and true. then we have incredible resources to be able to search the internet. I mean, we used to have to go to the library to try to find something. Mm -hmm. Well, now the libraries are all available electronically. And, um, you know, my wife and I sometimes, we love watching old movies. Sometimes we'll sit down and we'll watch a movie and we spend the majority of the time talking about the actors and what other plays or movies they've been uh -huh. in and I'm sitting here going with my iPad into uh, IMDB and yeah. we're looking for some of the trivia and some of the historical information and most of our movie experience is a conversation between us while this movie is taking place but is the it? movie has triggered the kind of research and conversation and we're educating each other See, that, that's almost education for entertainment. I mean, oh, yeah. like you're reframing the whole concept. Most of us just kind of considered we're supposed to get educated for our career uh, to make mom and dad happy and to make more money. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, and, and yes, education does all that. I yeah. mean, education is incredibly invaluable. Plus, it gets you married because people sure. love you because you're educated. But it also gives you the opportunity to be of service and to help others and to, and to, and to teach others. If you, right. ever, if you want your children to grow and learn in certain areas, sometimes it's best to grow and learn in those areas yourself, and then you can be a teacher as well as develop skills that can be of use and yeah. contribute to society. So there's a lot of reasons to be educated beyond a career. There's incredibly self-fulfilling things. I mean, I've, I've studied things like uh, ancient Egypt, hieroglyphics, things that would never be real practical in yeah. this life, yeah. but are incredibly interesting and mind-expanding. And probably the other major reason to do it is what it does to your brain. It keeps your brain active and alive and stimulated and, and will make your later years in life much more valuable oh, and, and rich. Think of that. I mean, I mean, I guess there are studies to what it does to your brain to keep your brain active and flowing and, oh, absolutely. and energized. Go, go to the, the site of the Society of Neuroscience has a site called Brain Facts. You go there and just get the real truth about your brain, how to nourish it, how to keep it active, how to develop it. And to get away from some of the old information that isn't yeah. true anymore, yeah. that your brain can really be developing throughout your life, and, and it doesn't have to diminish as badly as some people uh, think is a natural part of our, of right. our aging. That's not necessarily so anymore, and you need to exercise, do the right diet, but also be exercising your mind. All that. I mean, they have video games for seniors. Oh, they yeah. have you know crosswords or word games and other things like that to keep the seniors' brains alive. Oh, sure, sure. You know, it's a different age. It really is. Now, as somebody that's been over independent study, you've got to have some pretty interesting stories of kids, students, people that are out there taking classes on their own, having their life changed because they're they're putting forth the effort. How, how's it impacting people? Yes, I wish I had some of my uh, <laughs> staff here, actually, because they get to deal with uh, more directly stories, with yeah. those students. Like I said, we have some students that um, just take our courses because of their lifestyle. Either they're training for a sport or they're traveling with their parents or with their family in some foreign country. And, and uh, it's incredible some of the stories that they relate to us about how the freedom to be able to do their learning remotely um, supported this other activity or this traveling or this other uh, um, work situation that they've been involved in. Um, I get mostly involved when there's exception situations, when somebody needs particular help or there's a particular complaint and yeah. all those things escalate like, to oh, me. Now so I'm, I'm, I'm not always involved in the, the most, uh, you know, the best stories. The, the but, most uh, edifying yes. stories. So um, as, as we kind of, as we talk about this and as we think um, growth, as we think learning, what are some tools, what are some what are some additional insights that, that just the average person out there driving in their car, coming home, what are some things they should be doing? What should they be doing and thinking about? Well, th there's a couple of things. I would suggest, first of all, to just recognize the resources that are available. You know, we talk a little bit about the Internet, and but that's only a small part of what's available. You look in your communities, and, and you'd be surprised sometimes at what's available at the local senior center in terms of courses that they provide. There are extension services you know, independent study has uh, personal enrichment courses, and there are other universities that have free courses available. But uh, there are also just museums everywhere that you can take advantage of to, to learn. 
Um, you can subscribe to free publications from lots of educational organizations. You can uh, go to cultural events that are that are just just be aware of what's going on in your community. And I think it'll be surprising how many places there are to learn from. Volunteer organizations that will train you and expose you to new things that will build that curiosity and uh, and satisfy your need for learning and uh, and build that appetite. It's yeah. really there's just a lot out there that. Uh, Sometimes we don't take advantage of. Well, I mean, even just the local libraries, like you were saying, I can check out a book on my iPhone or on my iPad from the library, free of charge, and have it downloaded immediately and take it with me. I can take audio. I can do. I can do so many things. So when we come back, John, I really want you to just give us a few more ideas. What are some tools? What are some things we're missing? What's some of the low-hanging fruit in learning and, can, and independent learning, lifelong learning? and uh, see if we can't give everyone a leg up on that. Okay. We're talking about independent learning, lifelong learning, everybody, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back with more right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have you ever wanted to travel the world? Now you can experience the vibrant cultures and customs of countries across the globe and cities across America through the eyes and ears of folk artist Eric Dowdle. Tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle and travel the world weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. One of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's top aides is in China today to discuss renewed efforts of implementing the UN six-point peace plan. Chinese and Russian interests in the conflict have been a source of worldwide tension as the two Assad-friendly nations have blocked multiple resolutions that would help to end the conflict. Now, however, Chinese officials are even considering hosting talks with rebel leaders. But the conflict may be heating up. Even more, as Reuters has reported, veteran fighters from the Libyan civil war have joined ranks with the rebels. The Libyans aren't the only ones joining the opposition. The recently defected prime minister has also added his name to the rebel force. Syria's prime minister defected a few days ago. Now he's saying he's joined the rebels and he's calling on the rest of Syria's government to follow him. Riyadi Jobs said the regime's brutal crackdown on rebels pains his soul. It's his first public comment since defecting to Jordan. He's by far the highest government official to switch sides. He says President Bashar Assad's regime is crumbling, but not too fast. Assad's forces continue to pound rebel positions around the country. Mark Levy, Cairo. Despite President Barack Obama's efforts to get health coverage to every person in America, some states are still full of people unable to get covered. In Florida, a yearly income of $11,000 is too much to get Medicaid. $8,000 a year is too much in Mississippi. In Louisiana and Texas, earning more than just $5,000 a year makes you ineligible. Governors in those states have said they'll reject the Medicaid expansion in Obama's health care law after the Supreme Court's decision gave states that option. Sandra Pico says she is poor, but not poor enough for Medicaid. She says it makes her feel like garbage, like the American dream is not being accomplished. I'm Ed Donahue. A new experimental type of aircraft is being tested today that could help to revolutionize military and civilian travel. The new craft is designed to fly at Mach 6, which is 4,500 miles per hour. This innovative scramjet engine, if applied to a passenger aircraft, could get you from New York to London in about an hour. Today's test will strap the X-51A plane to the bottom of a B-52 bomber wing, where it will be dropped over the California coast before it blasts off for a 300-second test that will end with the craft crashing into the ocean. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody. 
to the Matt Townsend Show, broadcasting live from the Wilkinson Center on BYU campus, smack dab in the middle of Education Week. Thousands of people on the campus learning, being educated, taking their lives to the next level, learning gardening skills, how to be more spiritual, how to raise a family without destroying them. All the great skills and tools you need. It really is a neat uh, environment down here, uh, a place where you gather, you learn, and uh, you just become better. Um, in fact, one of our producers, uh, Bryce Tobin, you know Bryce is the Bryce is Right. Uh, he is an astronomy geek, you know, and some people would be surprised by that because he's, he's actually going to school in the, to study psychology. So how does he know so much about astronomy? Well... Let's let him tell him about it. Tell us about his secret. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce's right. I don't like paper books, especially when they're textbooks. They are big. They are heavy. Want to understand what's in the book? You need to start at the beginning because the stuff at the end references the beginning and never gives you a convenient way to access that stuff because if you didn't have to read the stuff in the beginning, why would it be there in the first place? Oh, and it's also somewhere around 400 pages long. Now, I don't know if this is a normal college thing, but here at BYU, there is a standard number of pages for reading before class. They estimated at 30 pages, which at first I thought it was just a time estimation based on how long it takes most people to read 30 pages. It's not. They meant it very literally. Most of the textbooks have chapters of at least 30 pages. I don't know if that's some unholy standard across the industry or if BYU made the demand for that or if they just sifted through enough textbooks to find the worst ones with at least 30 pages per chapter. And don't worry, the number of times that a chapter goes over 30 pages vastly outnumbers the amount of times a chapter goes under. And normally they don't just stop at 31. If they go over, they go way over, like into the mid-40s. But hey, if you're going to go, go big, right? One afternoon, I was feeling especially rebellious and belligerent while reading one of my more awful textbooks. I remember reading this one sentence. I knew what all of its words meant, and I comprehended what the writer was trying to get at by putting those words together in that specific order. But I could not clarify what it was trying to teach me. After spending way more time than someone ever should on just one sentence, I came to the conclusion that the only purpose that sentence served was to take up space. It offered no perspective on the subject. It was redundant. It offered no intellectual understanding. It only served to take up more of my time and meet a page length requirement. And that bothered me. I have a limited amount of time here. I can always make more money, more friends, and more relationships to eventually sabotage. But I cannot make more time no matter what I do. It's my time and I'll waste it doing better things. Then I had a thought. The internet's a big place, right? I'm sure I'm not the only person who's had a question about some of this stuff. So instead of slogging through this hate crime of a book, I went on a search for knowledge. I found many YouTube videos about this subject matter, presented on several intellectual levels, to different sorts of audiences, through several metaphors, from different perspectives, with a lot of visual aids, come on, it's a video, sometimes even covering what its implications are for the future, all from videos no more than three minutes long. Oh, and get this, it was entertaining as well. Once things started getting repetitive, I concluded I had done enough and put myself in the hands of fate. That's actually what I did for the rest of the semester for that class. And I viciously dominated that class. So kind of what I'm getting at with this is that if you want to learn about something, you don't really need to go to college if you just want to learn about it. There's a lot of good stuff out there, especially when it comes to videos. And so here's some YouTube channels that I use for a little bit of do-it-yourself learning. The ones I use are a bit academic and sciencey, but I'm sure there's others out there that fit your taste. One of them, it's called Minute Physics, and the title pretty much gets the point across. Very simple, yet comprehensive lessons on physics, and it even covers some of the more weird things. There's another one called Number File. These guys do math, but you know all those times that you were sitting in class and you thought, what if this were to happen? And then you imagine something fantastical, but you never had teachers who were capable of entertaining the thought or actually doing the math to figure it out. Well, that's what these guys do, but they also do it with science. There's another good one, SciShow. Hank Green, he's a biologist. He talks about pertinent science topics, covers past scientists, really anything that has to do with science, and he makes it fun. There's another channel. It's called Crash Course. Hank Green is also on this, but he does this channel with his brother John Green, and the title also gives you the idea. They both give you a crash course in their subjects. Hank covers biology. John gives you one on world history. These guys do, in 10-minute videos, what I've had teachers and professors spend months trying to attempt. But you want to know the real kicker? I actually remember this stuff from John and Hank. Or there's another channel called 60 Symbols. It's just more science. Or another fun one. It's called Vsauce. 
This guy, Michael, he gives a lot of what I would call gee whiz factoids. Mostly scientific stuff, but he doesn't just tell you, he explains it to you. And those are just the channels that I watch. Let's say you're into makeup. Let's say you're into cars. Whatever it is, you can find it on YouTube. You can learn how to do it. But let's get real. Not all textbooks are bad. I've even had good ones. Oddly enough, they were also the ones that were the easiest to understand and also had the shortest chapters. I don't know if that's just an accident. Right off the bat, we know that through the printed word, good knowledge can be conveyed in an efficient way. This also gives me hope for the future of the human race. Now, using YouTube is no cure-all. I just used it to supplement my textbook reading. Unless it's a terrible textbook, in which case, YouTube all the way. But it enhances and clarifies what I learned, and usually it's the only thing I remember when it comes quiz or test time. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Good stuff. Uh, That told me a lot about Bryce. No wonder I've never seen him read a book. Um, Smart cat, geek... But this is the future. We're going to bring back John Taylor, who's the director of BYU Independent Studies, Ph.D. in Educational Technology. John, welcome back. Thank you. Now, you heard the story about from Bryce. I mean, to me, that's the future. I mean, it's not just about going to the class anymore. There's so many things you can do to take it to the next level, isn't there? Sure, sure. And, And there's other things that don't even aren't even that tech-based. I mean, the tech's one thing, but there's a lot of stuff you can just do day-to-day to learn more. Sure. The, the key is to really organize your days so that you actually have a time for learning. For me, I found that my best time was to, uh, just as I went to bed, yeah. just to dedicate 10, 15 minutes for learning. And for me, the most convenient was when I got a Kindle about a year and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, now here is a modern technology, but it's using books. I mean, basically, it's electronic Access delivering books. Access to everything. My wife, myself, and our two kids, we all have a Kindle. We all share the same Kindle account. And we have over, what, over 300 books in that account. Um, probably 200 of them were free. Yeah. And so when I read my free version of Les Miserables or, or Moby Dick, there's no way I would have read those size of books without taking that 10 to 15 minutes every day and to be able to pop that little Kindle on, whether I'm, I'm going to sleep, sometimes I'd actually read for, you know, 45 minutes, right. 50 minutes, depends how it was interesting, but also I could use it on the treadmill. I can use it um, in various places and, and, and it's, you know, th- th- there are resources like that all over and it's combining on combining old technology with new. I agree. And, the, and the, we're talking, it could be anything. It could be just fixing your heater. It could be learning a new language, arts. It could be anything. That's what I love about it. If you've got a smartphone and you basically have an MP3 player and and you just need to make sure that you plan ahead and load on that device MP3s that will be interesting and be educational and then take advantage of that when you're standing in line at the grocery store, uh, when you're driving, you can be listening. Of course, obviously, you want people to be listening to the radio. That's right. right. You (laughs) will not listen to an MP3 (laughs) during this year. But there's lots of, of extra time in your day that you can use where there's, there's, you're doing something physically, but you can also be doing something yeah. with, with your ears or right. with your eyes that uh, can supplement that. Activity. And that's just kind of, that's an overt, you know, and get more into your head. But there's kind of subtle ways that you've talked about and ideas that you have, just subtle ways of getting it in just while you're listening to a lecture. Or... Sure. Some of the things that I found, and it's pretty clear from research that, whether you're reading a chapter of a book or listening to a talk or or watching a program, if you don't stop every once in a while and say, wait a minute, what did I just learn? And actually note that. Yeah. Um, taking notes is a critical part of learning. And if you don't document the key points that you've picked up, you'll very quickly lose that. In fact, there was some research that uh, says you're seven times more likely to recall the information one week later that was presented if you actually wrote down something. See, I totally believe that. And otherwise, you know, how many times were you reading as a student and you're halfway through the chapter and you recognize, gee, I've been thinking about something else. While my eyes have been going through these words, I haven't been digesting anything. So you just stop at the end of each page or two and say, what did I just pick up? And that kind of pausing and, and, and thinking yeah. causes retention of information. I think, I think, 
just note taking. When I read a book, I am writing notes all over the book. I'm getting so much information in that, and I'm adding my own signs. I have my own signs for when I capture a principle. Like that's a concept that's universal that I want to use forever, and I've made up my own signs. So I have my own language in my own book. And it's it's powerful. And it's important to know what your needs are. Yeah. I know that if you were to look at my bookshelf, you would see, an inc- I mean, it was the difference between John Adams' personal library and Thomas Jefferson's. They said when you look at those, Thomas Jefferson's library is perfect. It looks like no one has ever opened them yeah, because he way. took such yeah. care. John Adams' personal library is a disaster because like yeah, you, he, he marked, he wrote, yeah. he just did it. You have to know exactly. how you learn. For me, I write in books. Yeah. I mark them up. I do terrible things to books, yeah. but it's in order to retain the information. So when I moved to an electronic reader, I knew that I had to find a way to capture those key points. Did you and, do that? Were you able to oh, find yeah. that? And that was only because, I, and I'm, most e-readers have this, but I had to learn with the Kindle how to go in and highlight a sentence and save that. And so I have electronic summaries of all of the key points in all of the books that I've See, read. That's what I'm worried about is I'm going to lose these points. Absolutely. And I'm very uh, tactile, I guess. I like to see the paper. I like to see my writing. Sure. So that's one thing I lose when I use a Kindle or something like that. And, and so it's important for you to find yeah. your own learning style. Love it. Um, you don't want to always just use your learning style mm-hmm. because sometimes other learning styles give you other dimensions. My wife, when she listened to the Old Testament, she talked about how she got a whole different dimension of the book of Job when she listened to it versus reading it. Yeah. She really believes that that book was meant to be told as a story because of what you learn by listening to someone. Right. There's a different dimension to the audio learning than there is to the textual visual See, learning. Love it. And, and so I guess that's the concept of getting it into us. Getting This is the way we get it into our system. What are some other ways that you found... That, that also increase our ability to retain it? Well, getting it out of you. Yeah. Um, w- once you have absorbed the information, it's really critical that you express yourself in some way relative to what you've learned. Right. Uh, one way to do that is to just sit down and write your own summary. What have you learned? How does it apply to you? Mm-hmm. What additional questions do you have about that topic? Um, what you're going to further explore or what it might lead to. You know, whether and, and depends on you know, how artistic you are. If you want to write a poem about it, if you want to write, you know, paint a painting about it, a song, it, song, <laughs> anything that you want to do. Well, a blog today, sure. day and age, everyone's blogging, putting stuff on their Facebook page. All this other technology gives you an avenue, a forum to share it. it, it, it there's a there's a discipline that comes when you force yourself to express an idea in whatever language yeah. you want to express it in, so and that requires you to to ensure that you've captured the information yeah. when you're able to to express it. In fact, in my program, my graduate program, they called that the um, the uh, the scholar practitioner. Mm-hmm. So the scholar practitioner had to learn and study as a scholar, and then we had to practice in our field or share it or write about it and teach it. And it's the combination of learning and sharing, learning and sharing that changes us. Absolutely, particularly that sharing activity. Stephen Covey, um, said that you learn best when you teach another. The best way for people to learn is to turn them into teachers. In other words, you learn the material best when you teach it. That's so huge. When you sense that responsibility to get it across to another person, yeah. you look at it differently, you make sure you organize it, you make sure that you put it in a way that it will be understood. Yeah. And then as you express it, you discover whether or not you've gotten it across, and you revise it, and uh-huh. you go back and review it. And you tighten it up, don't you? Absolutely. It's good stuff. John Taylor, director of BYU Independent Studies, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Excellent insight. And if they ever want to get a hold of you, John, any easy way to do that? Well, I'm at BYU. Uh, email address is john underscore taylor at byu.edu. Good stuff. Appreciate your insights. Learning, folks, uh, it's not enough to just live, I guess. We've also got to learn. And as we do, we live and learn and change. Our lives get better and those around us improve as well. Thank you, John Taylor, for being with us. We are going to take a break. When we come back from this break, we're going to be talking to some of the learners here on campus, those that are here to get educated, uh, and we're going to pick their brains, see why they're here. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. A 27-year-long race through the human bloodstream may be approaching a big finish for the prize of a host of cures. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Dan Carter started exploring processes of protein crystal growth in space at NASA Marshall Space Flight Center in 1985. Over the years, his NASA research led to key discoveries on the structure of a major protein found in human blood plasma called albumin. Carter licensed the research from NASA and formed his own company to develop that knowledge into improved chemotherapy drugs. You see, human serum albumin helps transport substances through your blood, but it's also known to absorb portions of drug treatments and make them less effective. By understanding details of the albumin crystals, researchers can tailor drug molecules to be safer and more effective as they interact with albumin. Carter's company, New Century Pharmaceuticals, developed an extensive research database called KDEX, that helps scientists worldwide in shaping molecules to fix diseases in more than two dozen categories, including cancers and autoimmune disorders. Albumin is also a component of healthy young skin. And as a side project to their goal of stamping out major diseases, Carter's company is also using their knowledge to engineer a cosmetic wrinkle treatment that restores albumin. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU Radio is the home of the Cougars. Rise up and become a corporate sponsor today. For more information, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show, broadcasting live from the Wilkinson Center at BYU Education Week. And uh, again, for those of you that don't know, about once a year, there's an Education Week at Brigham Young University. Is it once a year? Seems like so much more than that. And about 20,000 people gather on campus. Uh, They go to about 1,000 classes, 200 instructors, 